Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangasin, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll take a look at a new Chinese electric car IPO in New York, which could be the first major such listing in more than two years. We'll also look at a fun story about another new listing, this one in Hong Kong, for a company that's come from nowhere to take the crown as China's leading bubble tea chain. We'll start with electric vehicle maker Zeker, which has applied for a New York IPO that could raise up to a billion dollars. It's still early days, but an IPO of that magnitude would be the largest by a Chinese company in New York since the DD Global disaster more than two years ago that sent listings into a deep freeze. Zeker is the EV brainchild of Geely, one of China's top private car makers. It's also quite late to the Chinese EV game, founded just two years ago. So, Renee, let's start with the question on Zeker itself. Like I just said, the company is quite late to the Chinese EV market, more than a decade behind BYD, which Warren Buffett discovered back in 2008. Can you comment on the company's chances for success? And also, how do you think this IPO will fare? Um, I, I think I'm <laughs> going to resort to my um, usual best answer, which is hard to tell. Um, uh, Zika, always is, hard to tell. Zika is, as you rightly mentioned, a, a fairly recent uh, EV manufacturer in uh, China, but which is a fiercely competitive market, um, as I think um, all of our listeners know. But on the other hand, um, it has the scale and the power of uh, Geely uh, behind it, number one. Number two, um, let's not forget that uh, when it comes to EVs and EV technology in general, there are other uh, car manufacturers inside the Geely empire who have been around for a longer period of time have to a large extent mastered uh, the technology and so on. I'm referring to a company called Polestar, which is uh, directly, I think, uh, linked to Volvo, but which is uh, controlled by Geely. Um, and, um, and I think it's a matter of scale and a matter of money. I mean, when you look at what's going on in the EV uh, sector in, in China, I think only BYD makes money. Just about everybody else is losing money and has been losing money for quite a while, especially companies such as NIO, uh, Xpong, and so on. So the ability for uh, those existing manufacturers who are already in the market to survive is uh, going to rest in large part on their ability to continue to get funding. Um, I think that on that front, uh, Zika should have uh, no problem and should be better positioned than some of its um, you know, current competitors in the market. As to the IPO, um, I mean, it's interesting that they're going to the U.S. market. That is clearly where, at least initially, Neo went, uh, followed by Li Auto and by Xiaopong. Uh, so they're probably uh you know going to a uh, a market where they're going to have 
competition to some extent, but comparables. People, investors are familiar with the sector, um, and uh, and it, I think it makes some sense to um, to go to the U.S. market. It's it's a bigger market. It's a more liquid market in general. How successful um, the mm-hmm. IPO will be um, is is hard to tell. It's hard to gauge the real fundamental appetite currently uh, among U.S. investors for um, Chinese stocks and Chinese IPOs in particular. Um, you mentioned Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. Actually, those two firms were uh in uh, brought the uh, uh Hersai IPO to the US market i think at the end of january or in february uh that ended up uh being a bit more successful than initially planned they raised 190 million dollars the company manufactures lidar equipment but uh, if you fast forward to today, it pretty much has lost fifty <laughs> percent of its valuation yeah. since uh, since the IPO. Uh, and yet, you know, clearly it had uh, it had the uh, support, and uh, we have to believe active support of two of the biggest uh, U.S. investment banks bringing it to market. So um, we'll see. Uh, I think that. You know, it it will happen. Um, they will uh, they will raise some capital. Uh, I'm not sure that they're going to get as much as uh, as they want to get. From Zeker, uh, you know, because we all follow Chinese IPOs in in the U.S. Uh, let's look more broadly at Chinese IPOs in the U.S. You you mentioned uh, Hasai, uh, but both of these deals, like you said, have have big name underwriters, uh, and like I said, Zeker has Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. That really haven't been that active in the market for the last couple of years. Um, we should also point out that Zeker got the official green light from China's securities regulator under a new registration system rolled out earlier this year. So that's that's sort of a I think a big you know a big uh, was a big potential stumbling block in the past. With all that background in mind, do you think this listing could mark the start of a, a you know a new spring for big Chinese IPOs in the U.S.? I'm not sure that this listing is going to be such of a bellwether, but uh, you may have read the news uh, yesterday or and and this morning definitely about uh, Sheen, uh, you know the uh, big fast uh, fashion Chinese company which is uh, has been very successful in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, filing confidentially. Uh, for what would be a U.S. IPO sometimes in 2024. Hmm. Now, both of these, though, uh, very clearly are consumer-related uh, companies, uh, even although I think she particularly, uh, primarily, is not a China consumer uh, story. But it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I think there's still a fair amount of uh, concerns among global investors as to uh, the strength of uh, the Chinese consumer. Mm. And um, I would expect that uh, until we start, unless we start seeing some more positive numbers coming from the consumer sector in China, that there will continue to be some uh, definitely reluctance on the part of a lot of investors to throw money at it. Right. So I guess now it seems like maybe a lot of the regulatory obstacles have been cleared, but now 
we're getting back to the more fundamental issues of are these companies attractive to investors, uh, especially with China's economy slowing so much? Yeah, well, on the regulatory side, you know, I'd like to come back to that quickly. We've talked about it many times in the past. Uh, I mean, yeah, they got the approval uh, from basically the Chinese securities regulator being the government. Uh, but, you know, uh, the obstacles typically have been of, of uh, two primary considerations. One, uh, cybersecurity. Zika certainly doesn't have a massive amount of data on Chinese people. Um, I'm sure they wish they had, which would mean <laughs> that they'd be extremely successful, but they clearly don't. Right. And and the second uh, the second pillar of that is to do with you know national security, national interest, and so on. And I don't think that uh, Zika, uh, at least currently, creates a problem on uh, either of those fronts, which is probably why they got the uh, the approval and uh, and you know for the chinese government better have companies that are not what i would call strategic for the future of the country to raise money from uh, you know foreign investors as opposed to taking money away from the asia market where obviously uh, you know security related companies and so on uh, need to be able to raise as much capital as they need to continue to grow and build themselves up. Okay. All right. Well, that takes us nicely into the next story when we're talking about sort of non-strategic com- uh, companies, because uh, the next company we're looking at is, is a company called Mishe Bingchang, which is a bubble tea sensation about, about as unstrategic as it gets. And uh, they're reportedly preparing to list in Hong Kong. This company is what you might call the poor man's bubble tea uh, because it's found its niche at the low end of the premium tea market. It's also discovered the joys of franchising and is using a model to quickly grow its network to 25,000 stores, making it China's and probably the world's biggest bubble tea chain. So China is bubbling over with premium tea chains, leading many to say the market is a bit overdue for consolidation. And yet this would only be the second such chain to make a listing outside China, the first being another chain called Nayuki. Uh, any thoughts on how this kind of a listing might fare in the current market? Well, you're going back to consumer sentiment, I think, to uh, to some extent at least. Then, uh, however, additionally in this case, uh, some of their numbers growth-related numbers are obviously extremely impressive. Um, They do seem to have found their niche. Let's let's remember that uh, in e-commerce, for instance, Pindodo basically started uh, at what we could call the low end of uh, the value chain by, you know, selling primarily peddling uh, cheaper products than uh, Alibaba and JD.com were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. And it it actually worked extremely well for them. They had another twist to it, which basically was this social buying, social group buying and so on. But but they were considered pretty much as the cheap version of Alibaba and JD. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've kept taking market share away from those two um, more established players. And they've grown pretty nicely. 
Um, in the current economic situation in China, I think that uh, there's a, an additional dimension where value for money, especially in lower tier cities and so on, has to be a pretty important consideration on the mind of, of lots of consumers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would expect that uh, they will continue to grow. Uh, franchise model is, is fine. 25,000 stores, that's impressive. I mean, look, let's put this in context also. Um, two things. One, Chinese people, many Chinese people are fairly entrepreneurial. So um, it is not a surprise to see a number of franchises growing pretty quickly as that is used by, you know, a lot of people as a way to make money and maybe even eventually become relatively wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, there's no guarantee, though, that every one of those stores will be around in a year from <laughs> now or maybe even in six months from right. now. Uh, there's usually a huge turnover. You know, people, lots of people think that it's easy, that all they need to do is put up a shingle and start, uh, you know, brewing something and selling it. But, uh, you know, in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. And, and I think that a lot of people who go into those ventures are not necessarily very savvy <laughs> and they end up being disappointed. Mm. So, um, Time, time will tell, but, uh, you know, I could see why uh, at a cheaper price point in the current economic conditions and so on, they they have an attractive offering. Okay. Close out just by looking at the broader bubble tea market. Um, any thoughts on how things are going to shake out for this group in, in general? It, it seems like there are three or four bubble tea shops on every block mm. in big cities like Shanghai. And Misha Bingcheng is also showing there's a big thirst for this stuff in smaller towns. But it's, you know, the, the, the market is really, really quite saturated right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be uh, some amount of consolidation at some point in time. This is not an, an unusual uh, story. In, in China, uh, <laughs> no, you know, something calm. becomes something becomes uh, very successful very quickly. And uh, all of a sudden you wake up the next morning and it has 10 competitors. So uh, we've seen that in, in a lot of uh, different sectors over the last 20 years. We're seeing that uh, we've been seeing that in the uh, EV car market and so on, where, uh, you know, the number of EV manufacturers has been shrinking and, and, and will continue to shrink inevitably because in all of those businesses, especially when, you know, you have lower margins and so on, uh, scale becomes extremely important and funding uh, ability becomes absolutely crucial. Right. So, um, Yes, I expect some consolidation. Yes, and, and tea and, and probably coffee as well. well that's that's another story, but it's very similar. Right. I was I was at a mall yesterday, and within what I would call probably a hundred square meters, there were five different coffee shops of <laughs> chains, not yeah. independent. So uh, I I was looking at that and wondering how long that's going to keep going on like that. I don't think that uh, that is going to continue to go on for a long, long time successfully for everybody 
in every location where they are today. Right. I'm not suggesting that any of those big chains will, uh, you know, go bankrupt or run into problem, but they're going to have to start rethinking at least some of their locations because that kind of competition within such a small space is never going to never going to be economically uh, viable for uh, all of them. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, unless less people that are drinking a lot of coffee, but I don't think they are just yet. Right. Okay. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for listening this week. We'll wrap things up. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc., when we'll look once more at the latest trending Chinese business topic. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye. Goodbye.